Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. I just want to ask you a question this morning. What is the thing that sets us as a church apart? I'm not talking about us as Gateway Ormo, but the, the church in general. What's the thing that sets the church apart? Like, I love our music. I reckon we punch above our weight here at Ormo for the size of church we are in terms of our creative space. I don't know if I'm the only one that thinks that, but I've sat in some churches where the music isn't as sweet a sweet sound in the ear of the Lord, but that's, you know, we're blessed. We're just, you know, the people that have gathered here, and I feel like our music's awesome, but you can find some great music. Like, you can probably find some higher quality music because of the investment and the professionalism that's invested in it by going into the valley on any Saturday night or Friday night and finding a club. Like, you can find great creative spaces to engage that isn't in the church. So what's the thing that sets us apart? I I love our youth and kids ministries. We've got incredible spaces that are are set up on Fridays and on Sundays for our kids and our young people to engage and, and learn about Jesus and enjoy time together but there's plenty of great places outside the church where young people can gather and have fun and there's some places that millions of dollars have been invested to attract and engage young people we haven't had that investment here but even though I love our spaces there's some places you can go where your kids can actually find great enjoyment fun and engagement as well that aren't in the church I love our after-service time, I always say one of my favourite things about Gateway Ormo is that church goes on much longer after the last song than it went on up to the last song. I love that people hang around for hours after and engage over coffee and look how coffee's okay, but I can send you some places where you'll get a better coffee than you will here this morning. You can go some places where you can find some great company. You can go some places where you can hear some more engaging talks off a stage than you'll hear. What is the point of difference in the church? I want to suggest that it's the presence of God with us that is our point of difference. Because if God is not present with us, we're just doing a whole bunch of activities the best way that we can. And I didn't want to offend any of our, I picked on all the staff areas there, right? Not, Not being offensive in that, but there's just reality and you know that it's true. That if if God is not with us and if God is not working amongst us, there is no point of difference in what we do than what you can find anywhere else. And we could go for a drive today and find a whole bunch of incredibly architectured church buildings that are now empty because there wasn't a group of people in there that were experiencing the life-giving, transformative presence of God. There's some great cafes in old churches and carpet factories in old churches. You see, it's not the walls of the church that make it great. It's what God is doing amongst the people in it that make it great. So I want to suggest that the presence of God with us is our point of difference. And it's not the presence of God with us. It's our awareness and openness and obedience to the presence of God. Because God is always present with us. Sometimes we're just not really aware of it. As I stand here today, all of us this morning are in James Bignall's presence. Some of us just aren't attuned to it or aware of it. Some of us haven't even noticed it. But all of us here are in the 
presence of James. You know, the whole earth lives in the presence of God. And I want to suggest in our church, the thing that will set us apart is a greater awareness, a greater willingness to lean into, a greater obedience to God's spirit at work amongst us. You know, we, we don't transform lives in ourselves. We can run great ministries. We can give great strategies. We can invest lots of great things into places, but it's actually the spirit of God that does the restoration and the transformation. It's actually the spirit of God that brings life to people. The presence of God is everything for us. Jason said on the video, and you'll, you'll hear this many times, but God's desire has always to be present with his people. Go back to the very beginning of scripture, Genesis and the creation account. And Genesis 1 and 2 talks about the creation of the earth, how God in his power spoke everything into being. Just with a word, things were spoken into being. That is the presence of God that is with us today. But he spoke everything into being. And we move into Genesis chapter 3 and it's, Quite a devastating chapter, actually, because Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter of the Bible, talks about how sin, how brokenness, how a whole bunch of mucked up stuff entered the human story. And I don't need to unpack sin for you, because right now all of you can think of things in your life that are broken, messed up, and guess what? Sin can still be, this is why we need the presence of God, because brokenness, hurt, pain can all sit within a group of people like us. It's not that we're all perfect that's the thing that sets us apart, it's God at work in us and through us, it sets us apart. But in Genesis 3, the story of sin entering the human picture, there's a little verse that gives us a glimpse as to the life that God desired. It's Genesis 3 verse 8. It says this. It says, Adam and Eve had already gone and, and uh, broken God's command and sin. But it said, as they were walking in the garden, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord, the God, of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I love that bit of detail. One just walking in the garden, it was in the cool of the day. God's even smart about when he goes for his afternoon strolls. But I just want you to just sit in that for a minute. Just get a glimpse. This is the very first picture of interaction, these first couple of chapters of Genesis, of God's interaction with people. And what was God's desire? He's just hanging out in the garden with his people in the cool of the afternoon. See, this is a very relational God. This isn't the man and his wife were in the garden wondering where they could find God. God was just strolling through the garden because that is God's desire from the very beginning for his creation that he's just hanging out with us. He wants to be with us. We don't have to try hard to go find God. God's deepest desire is for you to be present with him. God's not playing a game of cosmic hide and seek. God's desire from day one is for presence. But you know, the, the story of Genesis 3 tells us of the effect of sin. One of the things that is broken is this just free-flowing relationship that God always intended for his people. You see, this is one of the points of differences is the God that is presented to us in the scripture. You know, people have invented gods for millennia. People have created gods and designed gods for millennia, but most of the gods that others have worshipped are gods that are disinterested, gods that sit at a distance, God, gods that don't want to really interact with the human story, gods that need to be appeased or manipulated so we get our way, but there's something different about the God that we talk about, and it's his desire to be close and relational with us. God has always desired to be near, to be known, and to be in a relationship with you. And the journey of Scripture keeps 
pointing this out. You jump from the early creation account, you jump to the story of Abraham, this just unknown guy that God says, Abraham, guess what? I'm going to use you to do something incredible. The whole earth's going to be blessed through you, Abraham. Abraham's not special. This is just the grace of God, picking someone that chose to be obedient. And so God meets with Abraham, and then Abraham's family grows, turns into a great nation, nation of Israel. Israel ends up in, uh, in slavery in Egypt, and God rescues them out of... I'm going really quick. Like, if you're unfamiliar with biblical history, love to step you through it at some point. I just don't have three hours today. They go into slavery in Egypt. The, the people of Israel go into slavery in Egypt. And Moses, God meets with Moses, and Moses miraculously leads them out. And it says when they get in the desert, what well, God's presence with them is seen in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Like the visible, tangible presence of God with his people. Why? Because God has always wanted to be with his people. And the people end up 40 years in the desert. And, and, and as you read the story, you get a sense that people are afraid to draw near to the presence of God. And so God presences himself and gives them this space that they create. It's called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle means to dwell. And so they create this tent, this temporary place of meeting in the desert. And housed in the tabernacle is the Ark of the Covenant, which is the very representative presence of God in their midst. Why? Because God's always wanted to be present with people. When they moved out of the desert, they found a permanent home. A temple was built. And in that temple, in the very inner sanctum, the, the Holy of Holies, it was known as, the presence of God resided. Why? Because God has always wanted to be present with his people. And out of this story, out of the promise to Abraham for all nations on earth to be blessed, something incredible happens. This is the part of our Bible where we turn from what we call the Old Testament to the New Testament. Listen to what John says happens in this moment. In the beginning was the Word. Now let me just, uh, for, to keep it simple for you today, just change Word to Jesus in your mind, right? Because John's talking about Jesus. He's just talking about them as the Word, the Logos in the Greek. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. In other words, John right now is just placing Jesus in this place of you know, God has come. In the beginning, Jesus was there. Jesus was there when creation was spoken into being. Jesus has been there from the very beginning. He was there when all things were made. Then he goes on in verse 14 to say this, and the word has become flesh. In other words, God has clothed himself with humanity and has made his dwelling amongst us. You know what the word for dwelling is? In John's gospel, tabernacle. God has tabernacled. God has pitched his tent. That's awesome. God pitched his tent amongst us. Gateway all my church camp, God just moved in the neighbourhood, put his tent right in the middle. Church camp, May 1 to 4, put it in your diaries right now, okay? How's that for an ad? God has pitched his tent, he has tabernacled, he has chosen to dwell amongst us in the person Jesus. You see, Jesus is the greatest picture of God's desire to be near us because God took the initiative in your and my brokenness to move into our neighbourhood and to dwell amongst us. He did it in a way that we could understand him and know him by clothing himself in humanity so he spoke like us, looked like us, and we could understand what God was like by looking at Jesus. Jesus actually says that about himself. If you want to know what God is like, look at me. 
Listen to my words, watch my interactions, see how I care for people, see what I say, see what I do, because I am the perfect representation of the Father from whom I was with from the very beginning when all things were spoken into being. So if you want to know what it looks like to live in God's presence and you want to know what the nature of God is like, look at Jesus. If you're new to exploring Christian faith, start with the story of Jesus. Go straight to those first books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and read them and read them and read them again because when you understand what this man in the flesh, Jesus, was like, you will get the perfect picture of what God is because they are one and the same. But Jesus was God's ultimate way of saying to us, I just desire to presence myself with you. And the story of Jesus reminds us that this was God's initiative. We didn't have to conjure it up. God himself chose to break into human history and human story. God himself chooses to break into your story. He's not distant from us. He desires to be present with us. He is present with us. And so it's here that I want to talk a little bit this morning about what I think it means for us this year to live in God's presence. Because I don't think it's about us conjuring up something different to invite God into our space. No, 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 that's missing the point of we're already in the presence of God. I think the challenge for many of us this year is actually to have a brand new perspective of God's presence with us in every moment, in every situation. You see, I think we split life often into two categories if we're people of faith. What I want to call the sacred, what I want to call the secular. We have our sacred places, maybe it's for you church and life group or when you go on a mission trip or when you give some change to World Vision at Christmas time or when you stop to pray or when, you know, if you're really dedicated, you have a set aside time every day for quiet time or anytime you pick up your Bible or anytime you're with your Christian friends, that is the sacred part of your life. It's the place where you're thinking about the things of God, you're aware of the things of God, but You've labelled it as sacred. Everything else though that you've lumped into this other category that you call the secular. And secular just means things that sit outside a God consciousness. So everything else then gets lumped as secular. And so some of us, we move between two spaces. We move into a space on a Sunday morning where we go, we're in our sacred space. Or a Wednesday night or a Thursday night or a Monday morning, whenever your life group meets, we're now in our sacred place. Or when we're hanging out with someone from church, we move into our sacred place. But everything else just gets thrown in the secular thing. It's like when we go to work, we're in the secular space. When we pay bills, we're in the secular space. When we're arguing with a neighbour, that's the secular space. When we're at the table with our family. These are all things that exist outside of the sacred spaces of our life. We split these two worlds. We create this dualistic life, one that has a God consciousness and one that doesn't. That's never the way God intended life to be. God never created a sacred space and a secular space. In God's eyes, everything is sacred. In God's eyes, every space you exist in is a space that you exist in, in his presence. See, the problem with living a dualistic life of having a sacred space and having a secular space is we start to split things in our life into the sacred and the spe- is secular. We have friends that fit the sacred space. 
And the way we behave, the, the language we use when we're around them, the things that we talk about, the posture that we take, fits the sacred space of our friends. But then we've got our friends that aren't in the sacred space and we're a really different person with those group of friends because we've split the two worlds. We think of our time in terms of sacred and secular spaces. This is the time that I give to God and that is my gift to Him. Like anything you do for Him is your gift to Him. We'll talk about that one another day. But then there's my time. Because I've been generous to God with giving some of my time to Him, well, the rest of the time is just my thing to do what I want. And actually, he should probably bless that because I've been pretty generous. We do exactly the same thing with our money. Well, this is the stuff that I give to God. And then this is the stuff that God should keep his hands off because that's mine. And that's mine that I've given to him. Okay, let's talk about that another time as well. We do that with our behavior. And some of us, and I've been guilty of this, are incredibly good at making everybody here at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning feeling like we are devout, divine beings. And then there's the other spaces we exist in. There's the way we talk to people when we volunteer in church and then there's the way that we talk to our employees when we're on the job site with them on Monday morning. God never intended for you to have a sacred space and a secular space because we treat it like over here God is present and he's interested and he's watching and he cares and over there we just can do what we want. That's not the life that God intended for you. Living in the presence of God and in an awareness of the presence of God is not to be limited to the sacred spaces, but to every part of your life. This is where it gets scary for some of us, isn't it? Because we would prefer, it makes it easier if God's just interested in the sacred stuff because man, if he's interested in this stuff, we better get on our knees and do some business with God right now. But it's never, you were never designed as a person of faith to live a dualistic life. You know what, I actually think when the world looks at the church and they see dualistic people, there's nothing attractive about that. They just see hip- hypocrisy. But that's not what God ever designed or meant for you. He meant for it all to come together. So let me talk to you for a couple of moments this morning about how we bring it together. And and, and what I want to do is I want you to think about the life of Jesus because the thing I love about Jesus, he puts flesh and bone on the divine. We see through his thoughts, his actions, his attitudes, his words, what God is like. So if we look at the person of Jesus, let's ask ourselves the question, where was Jesus present? Where did people encounter Jesus? Did they encounter him in the church or in the temple or in the synagogue? Yes, they did. Jesus went to the different festivals at the temple. Jesus made it his business to attend the synagogue regularly. Jesus met with his bunch of Christian buddies in the lounge room time to time. Jesus did the sacred spaces really well. But actually, they're not the predominant spaces that we find Jesus. Matthew 8, when Jesus talks about his own life, says this. Foxes have holes and birds have nests. But the Son of Man, in other words, I have no place to rest my head. In other words, Jesus has no fixed address. People said, where do I go to encounter God in the flesh? Jesus, they they, they couldn't give him a street address because Jesus was never sitting put in one place for too long. He was always on the move. So where do we find Jesus? Well, the first miracle we find Jesus doing is turning water into wine at a wedding, at a party. So the divine enters a very usual celebration of human life, a wedding party. 
Where else do we find Jesus? Well, Jesus called his, some of his disciples in their workplace. He got on the fishing boat with them and he said, okay, this is where you work. This is an awesome place to work. Guess what? We're going to do something different now. So Jesus is present in the workplace. Jesus goes and visits some sisters, Mary and Martha, after their brother Lazarus has died and Jesus sits there on the floor and cries with them. Crazy to think. He knows he's about to raise him from the dead, but he still enters into their grief. Jesus is found in the darkest, hardest, messiest moments of life. Jesus is found in people's lounge rooms. Jesus is found sitting around the table with sinners and tax collectors. Jesus is found sitting by a well trying to get some water because he's thirsty and having a transformational conversation with a Samaritan woman. Where do we find Jesus when we read the story of Jesus? Does he just live in the spaces that we define as sacred? No, no, no. Jesus is found in every space imaginable. People don't have to go somewhere to a fixed address to experience and be transformed by the presence of Jesus. You don't have to bring people to church for them to experience the presence of Jesus. You don't have to bring people to church to experience the healing of Jesus. It's not in this space that life exists. We come to church and church matters and I'm always going to champion the gathering of Sunday because we fuel each other up. We encourage one another. We pat each other on the back. We say, you got this this week. We don't say, great two hours together. Let's celebrate the time we had. We say, good two hours together. You got this. Because it really starts for you when you walk out that door on a Sunday morning. And this is just your refueling station. These are your people that are there to cheer you on and encourage you. This is the team that God's put around you so you can live out the call and the mission that he's got for you. And if all you hope is that it happens in the church, we're never going to be the church that we could be if we are people that recognise the church is our fuel to take the presence of God into a broken and hurting world. The presence of God's not found there. It is found there, but guess where else it's found? Around your lunch table, around your work site, around your kitchen table, when you're reading to your kids at night, when you're teaching classrooms full of young people, people, when you're working as a nurse in a hospital world, when you're building a wall, when you're cleaning floors, when you're scrubbing toilets, in your darkest moments, in your best moments, God is present with you. God is present with you. There was no sacred or secular divide in God's eyes. Every space is a sacred space. And so here's the challenge for some of us. I'm going to get the Music team, or I get Glenn to come join me. Because I don't know how long I've got left, Jimmy. Here's a challenge for some of us. Some of us have become experts in this space and convincing everybody else that we got it sorted. But we've never actually taken seriously the call to presence ourselves as Jesus people in this space. The most incredible image in the scripture happens as Jesus breathes his last breath and utters his last words on the cross. You see in the temple in Jerusalem, this inner sanctum, this holy of holies, there was a great curtain that separated the holy of holies from every other court of the temple. It was a big thick curtain because behind it was the tangible place where God presenced himself for the people to understand and know. And so the only person that could step into the presence of God was once a year a priest was 
kind of commissioned to go do it. And then what he had to do to prepare himself to step behind that curtain was quite incredible. But on behalf of the people once a year, a priest stepped behind the curtain of the temple into the presence of God as they knew it. Listen to what Matthew says happens when Jesus breathes his last on the cross. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the temple was torn in two. The temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. And the presence of God was no longer some sacred place that once a year someone went on your behalf. The presence of God in this very tangible, visible, this moment of theatre that God orchestrated. He said, here it is. I have to go somewhere now to feel like you're in my presence. My presence is with you always. And Jesus promised that he would send his spirit, the Holy Spirit to be with us, who would reside in us and who would work through us. God is present in every moment. You live your life in the presence of God. The thing that God wants to do in you this year is just start to make you aware of it. Imagine if in your workplace, you started to pause occasionally and go, okay, God, I don't know how to deal with this, but I'm just going to ask you to be present. God, my colleague here has just shared something going on for him and I, I, I don't know even how to give words of compassion. Jesus, would you just come into this moment? God, you're here, give me the words I need. Give me the, give me the prayer I need. Give me the compassion I need in this moment. God, you're present with me. Let's, what do you want to do here, Jesus? In your family, when, when your kids sit crying at the table, just heartbroken from something's happening. God, how do, I, how do I just help my family in this moment become aware of your presence with us? God, bring you hope, bring you compassion, bring you joy. Church, I want us this year to live with a greater understanding of the presence of God in the sacred spaces. We all want you to come here every Sunday hungry, just hungry that God wants to do something. He's with us. The Ancient of Days, the, the one who spoke all things into being is present here with us today. He can speak healing into your life. He can speak hope into your life. He can bring hope in your marriage. He can bring hope into your kids. He can bring hope into your situation. He can help give you joy in the midst of tragic circumstances. That is what the presence of God does for us. And I want you to come into this space every week, go into your life groups every week, step into all those sacred spaces every week. Just ready for God's presence to just bring transformation and change. But I want you to start to grow an awareness. Is that me? Start to grow an awareness of God's presence in every aspect of your life. The psalmist says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in from behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are 
there. And Lord God, you are there with us in every moment, in every space, in every aspect of our lives. God, we live our life. We live our life story out in your presence. You perceive our thoughts from afar. You know every word before we even speak it. God, there is nowhere we can go to flee from your presence. But God, some of us have just got to grow a new awareness of your presence with us in some different spaces this year. God, as we do that, I want to pray, Lord, that that the dualistic life that some of us live would start to come together. God, that, that we wouldn't feel like we need to come into the church space and have it all together. God, let us bring all of our mess, all our brokenness, all of our doubt into the church space. But God, let us take all of our faith, all of our grace, all of our compassion, all of our love into all the other spaces as well. May we become more aware of your presence, Lord Jesus, I pray. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.